Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 70. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $225 each, and everybody's favorite LTB coin is trading at $0.000088 US dollars each. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me today as I podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee, with my trusty Siberian Husky Maxwell by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. (laughs) We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love talking about Bitcoins and sharing what we learn each week with you, the listener. Longtime listeners, thank you so much for your support and your tips, and new listeners, welcome to the show. On today's show, I am privileged to be speaking with Talant Ramabaya, the CEO of BitSapphire. BitSapphire aims to change the face of how society works through the development of Distributed Autonomous Corporations, or DACs, and applications which utilize this revolutionary technology. We also talk about the Moonstone Wallet, a free crypto wallet that allows transfers and trades among Bitcoin, Bit assets like BitUSD and BitGold, user-issued assets, and other tokens without the need to go through many complicated verification and validation steps. We also talk about BitSapphire's partnership with one of my very favorite companies, Factum. As I've said many times before, friends, welcome to the dawn of the age of cryptocurrencies. Welcome to the future, and welcome to the show. Oh, wait, uh... I, w- <laughs> I wanted to mention that Bank of America has officially lost its mind. Uh, last week when I went to check my balance online, right there in the middle of my transaction summary and actually listed as one of my transactions was the following sentence, and I quote, <laughs> Add this deal. Try the new banana French bread toast slam at Denny's today. Earn 10% cash back when you dine at Denny's. End of quote. Friends, this is the kind of advertising that really turns people off and makes them laugh, of course. But to have my own bank encouraging me to eat at a restaurant that is certain to give me heartburn, this is enough to make me want to close my account. But I've had this same account for 16 years. I know everybody at both branches, and so I keep hanging on, (laughs) despite the uh, suggestion that I eat at Denny's. For those foreign listeners who are not familiar with Denny's, Denny's is where you go to eat uh, to get a really low-priced meal and heartburn. Heavy sigh. All right, listeners, I am thrilled to welcome to the show Taulant Ramabaya, the CEO of BitSapphire. Taulant, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Hi, great to be here. It's great to have you here. So you are right now, where are you, in Switzerland? No, I'm actually a Swiss citizen, grew up there, but I live here in Kosovo. Uh, southeastern Europe in the city of Pristina, the capital, where the development team is. Okay, and what is your weather like there today? Well, kind of cloudy, but warm as always, Mediterranean. Oh man, just the word Mediterranean makes me think of wonderful beaches and wonderful food. I bet you have great food there, right? Uh, Good and cheap. That's why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Good and cheap. Wow, does that mean that the economy is not doing great there? Well, yeah, that's generally the case when food is good and cheap, right? Yeah, sad but true. Pretty much the same as all Southeastern Europe, but it has its good and bad sides, really. I mean, bad sides, bad for most people, good side, you know, you can get some really good developers at decent prices and get a good life for them. Yeah, that's good. So you can employ some people and help them out. I would love to be in that region and travel that region. All right, so look, where should we start? You have so many projects going on. Let's start with your background, first of all, what is your background in terms of tech and everything else that brought you to this Bitcoin cryptocurrency world? Well, I studied at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Technically, I started in Kosovo at the American University in Kosovo, uh, but it's pretty much a sister university. And I was shortly also in New York at, in Rochester, where I took up public policy management, but took most classes uh, in regard to systems theory, information theory, and game theory. Hmm. It was kind of an obsession of mine. Unfortunately, until Bitcoin came around, really, you could at most become an academic with that background. (laughs) But 
I was so lucky as to find out about Bitcoin really early 2010 when the whole WikiLeaks story started on the WikiLeaks mm -hmm. um, forums and mailing lists. And all of a sudden somebody said, hey, there's some guys doing a fundraiser for WikiLeaks with some sort of made up internet money. <laughs> and that was when I started really researching, getting into it, and I got sucked into it right away. Well, that's great. So you were saved from the horrible fate of becoming a teacher. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, you know, it's, yeah, it is so sad that uh, generally teachers are not paid what they're worth. It's just, uh, it's a real travesty worldwide. You know, I know it's a problem here in the United States where it's almost synonymous with disrespect. We pay teachers a very low salary it's almost as if we think oh well teachers they're not important they're just the ones who are educating our children here in the united states of course we have a very state-run very government-controlled public school system even though it's not seen that way although we do have a lot of other magnet schools and charter schools and such and private schools of course and homeschooling but uh still that's very sad but i digress so okay now you are in kosovo and you have a team that is working on a lot of different projects. Can you tell us about the projects and about the team also? Yeah, so we're 12 full-time employees, almost all of them developers or designers, and uh, five other uh, freelancers with whom we work regularly because you always kind of have to keep people in touch. So if a project comes along, you can get them full-time on board and okay. don't need to scramble for new people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've learned really, um, the whole, how, how do you keep teams working like a machine? Um, many of the startups out there seem to have problems with that, but I think we've really figured it out. Um, so the, the projects we work on, we're kind of in a unique position, uh, because we are here in Kosovo. It's kind of special because there is no VC environment. There are no angels. Uh, the universities are very theoretic, so you have crazy math and science departments, but very little humanities. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so you get it all the time, like here and there, some math geniuses coming out of the place for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, and um, as you might imagine, in, in Eastern Europe, you have a lot of these really good programmers. Um, so yeah. I figured that the prices are, I mean, the, the salaries are pretty low here, uh, especially due to the bad economy which got even worse due to the European crisis, really. Mm -hmm. um, and after getting to the U.S. and back, I, I, I got the experience and got in touch with lots of startups and said, um, it looks like um, I have the resources over here um, due to a lot of conference organizing and social meetups and other stuff that um, I could build a team quite easily here, pay them a very decent amount of money for local standards, uh, train them specifically in uh, blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and UI, UX, mm -hmm. and then serve a completely underserved market in, well, primarily in the US, now even worldwide, um, which is uh, early stage companies and technology startups. Um, so, you know, we, uh, while I was in the US, I was really looking for some sort of business model or product market fit um, for our ideas. And I figured out that. Uh, the best way to really get into the crypto market, right? I really wanted to, to do a, something in, in, in Bitcoin, in blockchain. I just wanted to be in the space. Mm -hmm. uh, so I said, there, there seems to be a lot going on in the US, but very few capable developers uh, at the right prices. And when I looked around, it seemed like um, there are just no companies actually serving specifically the, the early stage startups, hmm. right? Because the prices are way too high. You know, if, if you do normal consulting in the U.S., the prices are way too high, interests aren't aligned. Uh, the consultant company just wants to take a lot of money and run away with it, you know, once they build something. Yeah. Uh, while we figured out while talking to the startups that what they want is uh, aligning interests. So we really pushed for the product to succeed, both in terms of design and actual development, and for it to become a long-term relationship. Uh, so we were very competitive in terms of pricing and um, actually, you know, sitting down and talking with, with the startups and figuring out what they really need. And in most cases, we almost became, you could say, the, the CTO on the technical team of them. So uh, the, the two most well-known startups currently we work with uh, in this way are probably Coinality.io 
and uh, peertracks.com. Say that first one again. Coinality.io. Okay. And peertracks.com. Okay. It's absolutely fascinating to work with them. They're in very different industries, but the problem sets are, as always, with blockchain tech and crypto, pretty much the same. Um, you know, you're either secure, but, you know, uh, unusable, <laughs> i.e. Uh, cold storage. Right. Um, or you're absolutely not secure, but very much usable, i.e. Uh, like uh, online web wallets where they have their own crypto. I see. So it sounds like you have a really interesting team, 12 full-time people. What country are those people from for the most part? Uh, they're actually all from Kosovo, but we kind of picked and choose. I mean, it was very interesting because almost half of the team was studying abroad in places like Norway, Germany, the U.S. And um, normally with these countries now, especially in Southern Europe, they go out to study and they stay there due to the bad economy back home. Mm -hmm. And we were able to provide a good enough deal to actually find them over there and get them back, right? Wow. Which is very unique. <laughs> and everybody yeah. kind of wants that because, you know, it's cheaper, the families here. All right, so let's continue on. You talked about the first two businesses that you were partnering with. Yeah, so technically they're clients, but because of our very close relationship, on pretty much all levels, um, we call them partners. Okay. Uh, because clients, really, I mean, uh, it, it 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 creates the idea of uh, a, a simple consulting company. And we yes. go way beyond that. Um, we really don't just go the the extra mile. It's a lot more. Okay. It's sometimes exhaustive, but I think it's worth it. But beyond that, um, we also do a lot of research and patent work and. Uh, blogging work and uh, it's it's getting very fascinating because the more we are in this industry the more we're getting into R&D right into the cutting edge stuff okay tell me about moonstone.io and that project because that's something that I know is near and dear to your heart moonstone the moonstone wallet is our first um, internal 100% internal product uh, we're really proud of it um, we've been working on it for quite some time on the side slowly doing user testing, user interviews, et cetera, you know, the, everything you, we generally do for our clients and partners, uh, just this time for our product. Uh, Moonstone.io is uh, the place where we're doing currently the crowdfunder for the wallet. And the idea behind it is to finally have a really good um, universal wallet for whatever tokens there are, any blockchain there is, and uh, to have it really be a plug-and-play story where in the future we want to be able to have in a single wallet interface whichever blockchain or token you want to really hold, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially now that you have all these blockchains out there which also have user-issued assets and all kinds of other assets. Additionally, on top of that, we also integrate with the BitShares internal exchange um, which we're really excited about. It's technically a decentralized exchange, and we're hoping to be able to support uh, traditional centralized exchanges to essentially be a gateway to other exchanges and have everything from one interface in a very user-friendly, uh, playful interface. Oh, nice. So you're partnering with BitShares and working closely with them? Yes, so we're actually BitShares partners. Uh, we're intimately familiar with their stack, I first heard of uh, BitShares actually about a year or a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. That was before the whole, I mean, before BitShares really started. It was just a paper by Daniel Larimer. Mm -hmm. um, I got really excited. Uh, but then it, you know, kind of, I, I, I couldn't keep up with it, you know, too much work. And then um, I found out that they had understood um, they figured out a better consensus mechanism, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the more I, I looked into it, the more I think that um, the consensus mechanism with which they came up with, which they call delegated proof of stake, might be close to uh, the best consensus algorithm you can come up with, mm. uh, simply because it op optimizes for specific parameters and takes into consideration real-world parameters, right? It, it, it just says, okay, you know, uh, centralization is something that is pretty much inevitable. So let's just uh, put a maximum stop to it. 
and uh, let's just increase efficiency and let's get to something like, I think it's five to 10 second block intervals and within 17 to 20 minutes, finalized blocks and transactions. And uh, it's really amazing. I mean, the technology is amazing and obviously it's not the only amazing technology out there. I feel like BitShares has been overshadowed by Bitcoin quite a bit. Well, Bitcoin is the original one, right? It has the most traction. Exactly. But I feel like some of the people in the Bitcoin world have not really given BitShares and some other projects maybe the attention that it deserves. Well, we've been thinking a lot about this. I don't know if you noticed, but all these projects, there are siloed in you know, the communities mostly. Um, the, the, the communication between the communities of these different blockchain technologies and projects seem to be very, very um, fragmented. Yes. And they don't really talk to one another. And sometimes they're straight out hostile. Yes. And uh, from our perspective, that's kind of weird because we, we, you know, we see the technology, we see the systems, we just say, oh, look, I, I love that part over there and I, I, I absolutely love the other part on, on, in this other technology. Um, so we try to be more uh, objective, but at the end of the day, from a systems theory standpoint, I think it's really simple. Blockchains are kind of the encoded incarnation of um, a social contract, hmm. and it's all opt-in, right? It's an opt-in, coded, written incarnation of a social contract. Hmm. Um, and that all also implies that around that contract, there is a very strong community because they're all opt-in, right? It's not like a country where you're just born in there and you can't really do anything about it. Um, you specifically want to be part of that. And therefore, there seem to be a lot more emotions around that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's even monetary in, in the blockchain's case. So uh, people are also uh, invested in them. Uh, I think it's kind of unfortunate because now we're almost reaching that second stage of blockchain technology. I don't mean Bitcoin 2.0 and all these buzzwords. I mean that um, sufficient R&D has gone into these new technologies. Yes. BitShares, Ethereum, NXT, and whatnot. You know, Ripple, there's tons out there. Um, really a lot of very good R&D that has been made in the first place possible due to the investment schemes. And I'm saying schemes in a good way mm -hmm. in this case. Yes where the groundwork has been laid. And unfortunately, it seems that because of this inertia, we can't get to the second stage of getting the best parts of these different projects and really figuring out the future. Um, where I, I, I hope BitSapphire um, and our team can position, we can position ourselves to be um, supportive objectively of the best tech out there and the best parts. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really just position ourselves and everything for the future. Right? It's not just one, one project, one technology. Well, I like that. I like your open-minded view, and I like your idea about social contracts. I think that, yeah, the Bitcoin world and the cryptocurrency world is so competitive. A lot of it has to do with money. A lot of it has to do with politics. And, you know, here in the United States, you know, we kind of inherited from the Germans who inherited from the Prussians, you know, this idea of, you know, be strong get what you can while you can, you know, then you had Ayn Rand coming in and writing Atlas Shrugged and other garbage like that, you know, to the point where people now believe in the United States that once you have something that you believe in, that you know in your heart is good and true, then protect it, stand up for it, wave the flag. If something else comes along, it doesn't matter. We don't have to look at that because we've got what's best. We've got what's going to work for us, what's going to make us money, what's going to make us power, what's going to change things. You know, And you have this, <laughs> again, we inherited it from the Germans who inherited it from the Prussians. And, you know, that goes hand in hand with our public schooling of, uh, you know, keeping people thinking in a certain way. So I really like what you're talking about with Bit Sapphire, that you all are working to be harbingers of goodwill in this space and be able to work with everybody and be able to see the good that BitShares has to offer and Ethereum and Bitcoin and all of these and take from these what is good and also, you know, help these people understand, hey, look, we can all work on this together and we can move forward and everybody can succeed. Everybody can you know, be successful and make money and have a decent job and have a decent wage 
And um, all of these, at some point, like you said, the second stage, all of these, a lot of this, it seems to me, is now coming together where we're going to be able to put a lot of this to practical use in the real world in ways that we really have yet to imagine. So you just officially partnered with Factum on several projects. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Gladly. Um, Factum is an interesting use case of blockchain technology. Um, Again, um, we're we're partnering up with some of the most interesting projects out there uh, so we can position ourselves accordingly and solve real-world problems. And we think that Factum has a very, I mean, the whole Factum team has a very good approach to solving real problems. And uh, we talked with them and decided that we should really partner with them and solve some good good problems. Um, we're actually ta- tackling three problems at once. Um, one is very local and dear to our heart. Um, there's obviously a lot of issues with uh, database management, anti-corruption, and uh, really, you know, land registry, property registry here in Kosovo and all of southeastern Europe. Oh, right. We're lending a hand to the local municipalities here, you know, pro bono, really, so we can make the place a better place here. Obviously, that's not just in Kosovo. That's worldwide in developing countries and in developed, in quotation, developed countries. This is still an issue. Who owns the rights to this land, right? So Kosovo is kind of a fascinating use case because if it works here, we think it should work in practically any developing country. Um, and it's a small enough country. It's just 1.7 million people. The main city has somewhere between two to 400,000 people. Um, essentially, two-thirds of all the municipal mayors just switched. You know, um, the, the new ones were elected on some bit pretty bold promises, and everybody wants to deliver on them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's actually rather simple to work with them, especially if you tell them that it's not going to cost them anything. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, it's, it's fascinating because in this case, um, we figured actually out a way, a very simple way of, uh, we, you know, we're calling it blockchainifying any database, but what it really means is just creating a very a rather advanced checkpointing and logging system for already existing databases and data structures that the municipalities already have set up in in Kosovo's case. Yeah, so the best case here would be the property relations of of houses, of real estate, and uh, similar things. Mm -hmm. And uh, by creating these checksums, which is, I mean, it it really is ridiculously simple. I think we put it together in a weekend. Oh, wow. where we're, uh, we're essentially using a modified version of Git and um, switched out some crypto and the, the, the generated hashes we just upload to uh, Factum in this case. Uh, and this is why we, we partnered up with Factum, right? It essentially makes it possible to notarize any changes on existing municipal databases and uh, make them immutable, which means that in the future, um, if somebody you know does something to the database and wants to give himself a big, nice piece of land, it is provable that he did that in the past. I see. Now, is this something that you have seen as a problem or that they know is a problem? You know, the land disputes. Someone says, I own this land. Somebody else says no. And then they start to bring their documents. The documents look good. Some of them look old. Some of them are handwritten. Is that the problem you're trying to solve there? Well, Kosovo is interesting because it broke away from Serbia officially, you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. The tagline of Kosovo is literally newborn. So at all conferences, whenever you see Kosovo, you see the second like tagline, newborn. Okay. As a result, almost all institutions have here problems with long-term data really on anything uh, because there was a terrible war here 1999 Mm -hmm. and a lot of documents were simply destroyed a lot of property relations nobody knows about i mean all kinds of issues which a normal country with 100 or 200 year history wouldn't have kosovo has i see and then there's also the problem of document falsifications before the war i mean there was a repressive regime here and they made up all types of property relations. And now the question is really what property relations are actually real. Mm -hmm. So I know of cases here where a a single building is owned by over 100 people. Wow. Right. And they live in like 10 different countries now or whatever. Wow. Um, And so it's more of a legal problem than anything. 
but about past property relations, we can't really do anything about that. That's really up to the judges, right? And up to the courts. Uh, but going on from here to to the future, um, we we can make sure that that won't happen again. Moving forward, you guys could start to be one of the first examples of using this technology to set up, like you said, a newborn government, a newborn system that starts out on the right foot in the right way for the very first time in really in history. Well, I hope so. That's really exciting stuff. Yeah, I mean, and and the awesome part here is um, you kind of get ready for the future, whatever it is. Even if something happens at any crazy point in time in the far future, um, the local municipal data center burns down or whatever. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that you just lost all property relations uh, because you just backed up everything in encrypted form and made sure that you can reconstitute the databases. Right. I mean, heck, you could even do, you know, literally a peer-to-peer -peer backup with your citizens. Um, hmm. And it's actually rather simple. Uh, it's just how do you incorporate these new technologies with existing technology stacks? Right. Because uh, any institutions, they, they are a patchwork of technology, be that governments or banks or big financial institutions or whatever. They've just added and patched technology one on top of another. Hmm. And um, I mean, that's really one of the reasons why the financial industry is so slow. Because if they really wanted to change, they would need to redo their entire technology stack and therefore also internal business processes. And they can't really do that. Right. Um, and, and our approach, we hope, makes it possible to just take whatever they have and streamline it to the point where it's not a problem for them anymore. Right. But, um, instead, you know, there, there's some other similar projects out there which kind of promise that, hey, you know, we have this awesome blockchain technology, please adopt it. Um, which in the best case they would probably do, mm -hmm. but in a more real-world scenario, they can't just switch, right? Right. So we hope to be that bridge into the future here. It sounds like you have some leaders there who are open-minded and who, because everything is so new, they have an opportunity right before them, and I hope they'll take that opportunity to work on this project with you all and to be open-minded in working with you, that would be great. I think trying to do something like this in the United States at this point in a municipal government, they would be laughing at you because they have, they're so set in their ways, like here in Nashville, you know, the good old boys, uh, they're just so set in their ways. If someone came along and suggested this, they would say, no, 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 we have everything perfect the way it is, even though we know even here where things are more developed and more advanced, in a lot of ways, there is still much room for improvement. So I like the idea that Kosovo is kind of um, setting itself up to potentially be an example for the rest of the world of what is possible using this technology. I like that. Well, it's not all rosy here. We, we have the classic political issues here. I mean, it's Southeastern Europe. Um, we couldn't possibly have done this um, with the central government. Uh, but the municipal governments, I mean, elections have done... An, an incredible change uh, two years ago. And I, I literally two-thirds of all municipalities, uh, the leadership changed. Wow. Right. Uh, and as a result, um, they have to deliver. Right? right. And they're under some sort of very interesting pressure. Hmm. And um, therefore, we can go after the municipal governments here so easily. Um, it's a very unique position at the moment and a very short time window where we can do it this easily but it's not all rosy there's some sure bad stuff and politics happening everywhere yeah because you have humans <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and, and and so with factum that that's our first um use case the second use case is independent identity verification and kyc uh for blockchains uh through moonstone um it's actually going to be part of moonstone uh sooner rather than later this year. Okay. Um, we, we figured out that um, whenever you go to these conferences, blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto conferences, even fintech conferences, uh, the number one thing everybody has on their mind is how do you do identity on or with the blockchain? Right. Um, right. You need it to do KYC. And uh, as much as many of the blockchain enthusiasts and um, Bitcoin enthusiasts uh, like their anonymity or pseudonymity. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to do real business, you need to be able to issue stock you know, or bonds. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need to track um, identity somehow. Uh, 
Now we could get into why that you absolutely need that and why we can't just do everything with bare bonds. Um, but is the reality currently that you need to be able to track who owns what in your company? Mm-hmm. And um, we think that the next stage of this international, I'd say, financial revolution really, mm-hmm. um, is probably going to be uh, property tracking and allocation through identity and KYC. Um, to give you, I mean, just imagine having a decentralized exchange on which you track uh, stocks and bonds of companies and you can buy 50 cents worth of a startup stock in Indonesia or whatever, Yeah. right? Or, I mean, you could do Kickstarter with it, uh, crowdfunding campaigns for them or all kinds of things. But to make that possible, you need identity verification in the first place. Okay. Uh, simply because you don't want Saddam Hussein owning a startup stock, right? You also don't want Dick Cheney owning a startup stock. Or Dick stock, Cheney, yeah. right? <laughs> Even simpler, you don't want your competition to have the majority stake in your company. Yeah, that's a good point. So you need to solve identity, and we think that with specific notarization, uh, blockchain notarization, and some Merkle root magic, uh, it's actually rather simple to do identity verification. And we're working on that to integrate it with Moonstone because we want this to be a universal token wallet, which we hope will include in the future also stocks and bonds, uh, legally viable stocks and bonds. Wow. Um, so that's our long-term vision for Moonstone, really. Okay. Um, wow. And, and the, the third uh, thing we're doing with Factum is um, music, fingerprinting, and verification. So uh, one of our partners, which is Peertrax, uh, is in the music industry, and they're for to do a property relationship tracking of you know who owns what in a song. There, there can be dozens and hundreds of people and companies actually owning a, spli- a slice of the intellectual property of a song. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it's. I didn't know about this whole music industry and intellectual property universe until I got in touch with Eddie and Cedric from Peertrax. And um, it seems to be one of the major issues why you can't do, you know, easy and streamlined um, intellectual property management around the world, right? You need to just uh, fragment the world into bits and pieces and give rights to a second and third party companies managing your intellectual property over there. And if you can solve that with a blockchain, in which case you again need identity and other stuff, you also need to be able to um, actually know whether that song is a particular song. And uh, by just hashing it or hashing the fingerprints, you could theoretically for the first time have a globally distributed and backed up and universally agreed upon database of intellectual property and songs, for example, or content what overall. And um, so we're talking with the Factum guys really to uh, see how that can be solved best. Yeah, so I love Peer Tracks. I interviewed those guys sometime last year on the show, and I actually saw those guys at the Texas Bitcoin Conference and did not get a chance to interview them. But uh, I love everything they're doing, and I love the fact that you're partnering with those guys. What I keep wondering is, is it possible to hash the actual audio of a song? You know, you can hash a, a document, right, or a book or something, but can you hash the actual audio? Are we uh, technologically to that point yet? Well, hashing really just means you create a unique identifier for a specific file. And uh, as, as far as I know, it can be really any file size or any file format, right? Yes. It doesn't necessarily need to be a document or a song. Um, so, um, however, it doesn't go the other way around, right? You can't generate a song out of a hash. Um, you, you, you just create a unique identifier for that specific file and put it on an immutable blockchain slash database. I see. However, you can associate additional data to it where the actual song is distributed in a peer-to-peer manner and can be verified independently that the song you just downloaded via peer-to-peer methods is actually the song you want to listen to and is actually owned by you know, whatever artist you really want to listen to. 
Right. That seems so complicated in so many ways, because, you know, if you have a document, you could put the document in a different font or you could, you know, change the format. But still, the words are all going to be the same in that document from beginning to end. Right. You know, the same is true of a song from beginning to end. It's supposed to be the same. But when somebody does a cover of that song and it's the exact same song, but it's done by a different artist, done with different instrumentals and all of that, it would be great if there were some method of recognizing that and saying yes this is the same song but we're noticing that there are things that are different about it all of those nuances i would love to see a future where proof of that song is there indelibly on a blockchain but the information that's there with it is so rock solid that it knows the difference between this person's voice and instrumentals and that person's voice and their instrumentals i like the idea of that and you know technologically speaking that's something that i believe is possible all right so you just won the singapore dbs blockchain hackathon um dbs is the biggest bank in singapore tell us about that that was really amazing <laughs> um we didn't know about the hackathon until two days before it started. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, uh, again, this is just the serendipity of the industry, of, mm -hmm. of the crypto and Bitcoin industry. We, we were talking with um, some friends of ours who are with our Bitcoin startups, one bit, so a shout out to them. I, I think they are at the uh, local blockchain incubator. And um, they just said, hey, we're, we're participating in this hackathon. Do you have any idea to, you know, what we should do? And then we started talking and, you know, I just happened to look at the tickets and they were pretty cheap. <laughs> and I just said, you know what, uh, I, I should really fly over there, team up with you, you know, present ourselves as um, BitSapphire and OneBit and uh, win this thing. And... Uh, the idea was unique enough, the use case was very specific, and we won the hackathon. Nice. And what did you win, like $15,000 or something? Yeah, 15000 Singapore dollars and I think 120000 IBM Bluemix credits and some advising, and pit, future pitching, and lots of other things. Wow, that's so cool. So tell us about that. Tell us about the hackathon and tell us about uh, how you presented your project. Yeah, so there were 15 projects being presented, um, which is in and of itself amazing. I think that mm -hmm. uh, at like I mean, this is a this is an old and successful bank over there. They are probably one of the most important actors, which made Singapore what it is today. Hmm. Um, and uh, they're just open to blockchain technology, right? And we saw that lots of banks around the world really got interest, are, are getting interested in blockchain technology and kind of a race is starting now. So those 15 startups, it wasn't specifically Bitcoin or blockchain. It just had to be something interesting that utilizes blockchain technology. Okay. Uh, so uh, our pitch was the turning any database into, you know, quote unquote, a blockchain, essentially notarizing it uh, with checkpoints and um, use that for a very specific use case, which in our case was lowering the, the cost of securitizing um, the, the securitization of loans, which would make it possible for developing countries to have access to the global securitization market and therefore potentially drive down interests, interest rates for the developing world. Wow. And um, yeah, so... It's been very interesting. We, we, we talked to so many domain specialists over there. They, they had everybody there. And uh, our personal experience in Kosovo also helped a lot. And with that pitch, we won. However, there were also some fascinating other you know, startups. The second place went to a guy who uh, found out that most banking in his developing country, I forgot actually where it, where it was exactly, is essentially being done by village elders who are the trusted people over there. Mm, wow. And he, he essentially said, let's put a blockchain on their smart on a like smartphone which they own by a bank or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the banks use them essentially as very cheap extended arms of, of their financial institution and therefore make it possible for them to even settle debts within the country rather than just within the uh, village. 
um, and therefore give them access to much more uh, financial capital and financial instruments, etc. Wow. Um, and all of that with a single smartphone. Um, hmm. I think it's awesome because our technology and their technology and pretty much almost everybody else over there is very, very compatible on, on several levels, um, which gives me a lot of hope. Um, I, I think it's the, the world's going to change a lot more rapidly than many people think in the hmm. financial industry. Yeah. Uh, because things are getting so cheap um, and so accessible now that completely new business models will arise. And I actually think that, I mean, just with the last example now I gave, um, the developing world will really be at the, at the, you know, at the front of this change. Yes, I think so. They'll be at the front and also the banks that want to make money off of them will be at the front of it, you know, just like we saw in... Kenya, the people there were using their phones and they were transferring wealth back and forth until this company found out about it and they realized, wow, we can start a company, M-Pesa, and we can make a ton of money off of this. We can, you know, charge our percentage. So obviously the bigger banks and whatnot, uh, they're looking at this technology, trying to figure out two things. One, how can we save money, right, uh, in these developing countries and how can we make money? So they know they can make money because the majority of the people on the earth are in developing countries, right? They know that that's the market to look to for the future in terms of making money. And then in terms of internally, how can they save money using this new technology? DBS there in Singapore, what does DBS stand for? Do you know? Development Bank of Singapore. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, that's so great that they're that open. Again, obviously, they're not with open arms because they love you. <laughs> they're not opening up their yeah. arms because, you know, they want to help the world and feed all of the children they want to make money and they want to save money but you know it's great to see that they're open-minded the people that are in charge of that bank at the top of that bank you know they have their minds open to these technologies where it looks like here in the west a lot of the banks are really closed and feeling threatened right now i think that at some point we're going to see that turn around here i absolutely agree i mean while, while talking to many people over there um very few people mentioned even doing business in the U.S. or in developed countries. Yes. And the, the, the cities and countries uh, being mentioned all the time for, as the hotspots were uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Manila, and London. London being the only one you know, which has been the center of finance for a long, long time. But then again, Singapore, Manila, Hong Kong, those weren't even on the radar 20, 30 years ago. Right. And now all these startups want to move there or want to have banking relations there and talk to people there. Um, it's, it's amazing. I guess they put London in that mix because there is so much international business coming out of London. But yes, London has been the hub for finance and banking for, <laughs> for a long, long time. But at the same time, it's been the hub for corruption and uh, vice yeah. <laughs> and, you know, shadow banking, basically, <laughs> you know, they have the longest running shadow banking system in the world on the planet. So um, it's just interesting that they put London into that mix. I assume it's just because there's a lot of business going back and forth between countries like Singapore and uh, and London, obviously, more so than Singapore and the, the United States. In the case of London, I think there's now one or two fintech, you know, financial technology accelerators and incubators very specifically and i think uh, all the european banks that are interested in blockchain tech they seem to be now locating their stuff in london and the regulators seem to be also more open than let's compare it to the us hmm. i don't exactly know how why that is and how that's happening but you know good that they're doing that let's hope something comes out of it yeah i think good will come out of it and i think that also because i have you know great distrust for the international banking cartel if you will those guys are up to something over there <laughs> and, it, and, it's, <laughs> and it's not all good <laughs> well, <I agree. laughs> well we'll see good and we'll see bad and we will see ugly that's just what happens on planet earth right so talent what else would you like to tell us to wrap the show up here for today well we're obviously we have our fingers in all kinds of projects and talk to lots of people and one thing I'd like to say to people is, whoever, you know, the listeners, mm -hmm. uh, don't lock yourselves up in silos and in small communities. Be more open-minded. And the future is going to be a lot more amazing than most people think. I mean, um, 
because we're at the cutting edge of pretty much all these projects and talking to them and we know about things that are in in the works that won't happen for another year or two or three. Um, uh, Bitcoin isn't the end of it all. Um, The other Bitcoin 2.0 projects are neither. Most of the tech is going to be used and reused in the future, but we're going to see things that most people can't even imagine right now. The most important thing, I think, is the redefining what money actually is. And that's something that's so complex and you know, we, we could do another show like just about that, especially because that's my passion, you know, systems theory. Oh. Um, it's, it's just uh, amazing what we think is going to happen. It's literally going to be redefining what money actually is. If you think about money as an emergent phenomena, just like any other emergent phenomena, it emerges due to the parameters and circumstances, be those social or technical or political. And uh, now you have blockchain technology and other advanced technologies. So, you know, when the internet came around, everybody said, oh, what can we do with this? Well, let's do email, you know, email. We know everybody how that works. So just make email. Right. But when the internet came around, nobody thought that it's just communication and we're recreating what already existed in an old system. And it took, what, 10, 15 years until... Google Wave, Twitter, Google Docs, and whatnot, real-time communication came up, Mm -hmm. which is native to the internet and which couldn't exist in any other, uh, you know, as an emergent phenomenon in any other circumstance. I think the same is going to happen to money, really, or exchange value. And there's some amazing things that are going to happen probably in the next two, three, up to 10 years. Wow, that's exciting stuff. Yeah, I would love to have you back on the show and just talk about money. Can we plan to do that? Sure, but I hope we won't let, you know, some people I know who are very close to us and who are also in systems theory and finance, when we talk to them, it's so far removed from today's world that it just looks weird. But maybe there's going to be enough listeners out there so we can start an actual really good discussion about it. Oh, I think so. Yeah, that's exciting. Let's let's definitely plan to have you back on the show and talk about money. And you can take us into the future and tell us what money is going to be in the future. That's exciting stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Talant Ramabaya. That is an Albanian name that I have just learned how to pronounce from Talant himself. Talant, thank you so much for being on the show and for telling us about Bit Sapphire. Very exciting stuff. Your projects are amazing. Um, your team sounds amazing. It just sounds like you guys are going forward at a pace that is really going to make some great changes in the space. Thank you so much for having me and keep up the good work. I'll send you the email and uh, let's see what we can do. Maybe a talk sometime after a month or so. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, John. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Cheers. <laughs> I know that it may sound absurd, but I have for you a magic word, and today the magic word is moon, M like Mary, O-O-N like Nancy, moon, as in the sentence, I can't wait to get my hands on my very own moonstone wallet. And I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Taulat Ramabaya, the CEO of BitSapphire. BitSapphire is changing the face of how society works. And here's a great quote from Taulat himself that you can also find there in the show notes. He says, blockchains are the coded incarnation of a social contract and it's all opt-in. That also implies that around that contract, there is a very strong community because they're all opt-in. Nice stuff, huh? Brothers and sisters, I want to be a part of that community. For more information about Taulant and his projects with BitSapphire and the Moonstone Wallet and his partnership with Factum and all of the other projects, just check out the show notes there at Let's Talk Bitcoin. And remember, Let's Talk Bitcoin listeners, if you have not found the magic word in this episode, then you have not been listening very well. Find the magic word, go to Let's Talk Bitcoin, open a free account, and start earning LTB coins today for the content that you listen to and for the content that you create. 
Signing off now from East Nashville, I'm your host, John Barrett, together with my trusty Siberian Husky, Maxwell, right here by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Thank you once again, friends, for listening. Thank you for your generous tips. They definitely help keep the lights on and coffee in the kettle. And remember, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Get out there and do something good, and while you're at it, make somebody smile and make somebody's life easier today. It will make you feel great inside, I promise. Adios, amigos. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Down the road it will be told about the death of old Mount Gox About traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee See, they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go We have front row seats in the development of a historic technology that is doing things that have never been done before. And every day that goes by, I just feel amazed at at having this opportunity to be frontline observer and sometimes influencer in what is turning out to be perhaps a historic generational worldwide impactful disruptive change in technology, one that will create history. And that is an amazing feeling.